So do you guys remember some of the um, evidences of a true Christian that we learned from 1 John yesterday? I'm going to go through those just so you can get used to saying them. And like I said, if you're looking for notes and, and uh, everything that I'm talking about is online at livinghopechurch.net slash clearnote17. So if you have a phone and you want to look at the notes while we're talking, you can do that. But you can definitely check it out later. And we also have a family Bible guide for, um, for our families in our church. And uh, there are many, many uh, lists like this um, that you can, you can memorize and learn quickly with your children. There's a lot of mnemonic devices that we use. And so I'm going to go ahead and go through those so you can get familiar. Um, you, might not, you might not remember anything else from this retreat, but you'll be like, that guy that told me about the evidences of true, of true believer, and I taught it to my children. And so we have a whole little trifold um, tract that we have in our literature that you, you can... Um, download uh, online and, and use with your own family. But there's a whole Bible guide that we use. Uh, helps learn the fruit of the Spirit, helps learn the Lord's Prayer, helps learn the Ten Commandments, visualized. And so um, let's go through the 14 evidences of a true believer. And um, if you can guess it, just go ahead and say it out loud, but I'm guessing you're going to be listening right now. But uh, number one, I have fellowship with God. And that we remember that from just number one, and uh, I'm one with God. I have fellowship with God. Two, I cannot live comfortably in sin. Three, I obey God from my heart. Four, I hunger for God's word. Five, I live separately from the world. Six, I proclaim Christ boldly to the world. Seven, I long for Jesus to come again. Eight, I am sometimes rejected because of my faith. Nine, I love my fellow Christians. Ten, God answers my prayer. Eleven, I discern truth from the Bible. Twelve, I experience the comfort and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Thirteen, I trust Jesus Christ as my King. And then 14, I persevere in victory over the world. Now, none of these fruits are in full maturity in any of our lives. So if you're scrupulous and you're like, I am definitely not saved because I'm not sure that I'm boldly proclaiming Jesus before the world. I mean, I have trouble uh, when I'm on an airline uh, just even praying in front of somebody. Um, so we're not saying that these things are in full bloom. Neither are we saying like with proclaiming Christ before the world that you're an evangelist. But do you have uh, the, the, the spiritual um, eyes to see your children who need Christ or to, to, to when you have the opportunity to, to care about those who need Christ and to pray for them. And, and when you have the opportunity and God quickens you, you're, you're able to boldly proclaim, even if it's, you're, you feel like Moses and you can't speak. So I, I want to clarify some of that, that these things are just seeds that God plants in our life. But they, as we grow in maturity, these things become more and more evident. And so that's where we can gain assurance that as we see the Spirit of God, these are gifts that the Spirit of God gives us. And I didn't know what any of that was uh, until I came to know Christ. I, I was uh, born in on the south side of Chicago, and uh, I was born two and a half months premature. I have a twin sister. We were flown in a helicopter 
at the age of an hour old to um, Loyola University Medical Center. We were born at, at St. Francis, but we were flown there. And uh, God, I'm so thankful that he maps out our lives before we're even born. And he, his, his, ordaining, um, his ordaining plan for me began before I was ever in that helicopter. And they saved my life. Um, I, I had to have uh, open heart surgery eventually, and, and uh, my wife says, I'm almost normal today. And, and, uh, but my, my, my life exploded into a million pieces when I was eight years old. And I mentioned a little bit of it yesterday. My, my, my father had a family meeting, and he said, um, your mom is, is uh, going to be moving to Louisiana with the little ones. So there was six of us, and uh, the, two, the two twins, uh, youngest twins, myself and my sister, we moved 800 miles south to the north side of New Orleans uh, in Pachatula, Louisiana, just over that 27-mile bridge uh, that uh, takes you to the bayou. And so... We, uh, we moved every year uh, that we lived there, uh, except the last two years, my mother bought a house. And um, when I was uh, 14, um, or 15, I'm sorry, uh, my mother died of a massive heart attack at 49 years old. But the, the life that I lived was very much being raised by the world. How, how many of you uh, were not born into a, a home of devout Christians? You, you'd say, I was, I was, I'm kind of the first generation or, or in my family. So you know that um, when you're raised by the world, you're being raised by a harlot. You're being raised by, you know, by the harlot the woman that rides the beast, right? In the book of Revelation, you have, you have the chaste bride of Christ, and then you have the harlot, and they're compared to each other. And aren't you glad that on the last day that the bride will des descend from heaven uh, and, and, and meet her bridegroom like, like, like a bride adorned for her husband? That's what God wants us to be as men, is, is to be... Uh, godly and chaste, and to be raised by that godly mother, the church. Um, but mo many of us, and even if you were raised in a covenant home, you, 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 many of us have been exposed to serious pornography. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's on the billboards. Everything is being sold with pornography. Um, that soap suds that you put on your faith, face and, and, and somehow a woman's figure comes in and what in the world does that have to do with shaving cream? You know, um, Windex can be sold with sex. Um, everything has turned sensual. Uh, sadly, um, many of us were introduced to sex and sexuality on the playground just by somebody talking about it, somebody who had seen this. Or perhaps somebody, you found it in, underneath your father's bed. Um, for me, my father was out of the picture most of my life. Even when I was a child, he worked at the First National Bank of Chicago 
And then when he came home, he'd kiss my mom and go back to work at, at, at another uh, bank and, and be a safety deposit box person. And, and so he worked day and night, day and night for our, our, all the kids. But then I, I, I was glad that I had my father, but I, then I didn't have a father. And my mother thought it would make me a man to introduce me to sex and gave me stacks of hardcore pornographic magazines. I mean, literally, when I was 10 years old, I had naked women posted on my walls. That, that, is, that is child abuse right there, okay? And then the worst that I can tell you is the videos that she would bring home and put in, and I would watch these things, and some of them were not natural things. And it began to destroy my understanding and my concept of women. And then, so I would see all of that, and I'd go to school, and, you know, Kenny Scamardo, uh, the raging Cajun, my friend, he would always talk about these conquests that he had with, he were in the fifth grade shooting marbles on the ground, and he's telling me, you know, all these things that he was doing with, with girls, which I think most of them, if not all of them, were made up. But still, the images and the thoughts and the manner of worldview and looking at women and how did I view these girls, as, not, not as those to be protected, but as those to be conquered and used for my own pleasure. This was even before puberty, okay? But when puberty hit, it was like a, a rage in my body. And it was, it was an insatiable need. And so I, I began to get involved with pornography for my, for my own pleasure. And um, not just uh, formal pornography, but even in, in movies, watching movies, looking for movies that were sexual in nature purposely. And this is, I'm a child, I'm just a child. But we have, you know, Sin to the Max and, and HBO and, and all of that on, on television. And, um, you know, unfettered access. And, and th this is the soup that our children are being raised in today. Uh, I'm, I'm describing life in the 90s. What is it now? You know, now every kid has, has a smartphone. Every kid has a device. And where are they going? And I have Snapchat where there's, there's pictures being taken. And now the porn is not just of someone I don't know. Now it's someone, someone I do know. And, 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 and so this, this is the, the, the rising tide of sin that Jesus said would, would increase. The signs of the times began when, when he walked on this earth and, and he ascended to heaven after his resurrection. But that those, those signs are going to increase. Iniquity is going to grow worse and worse. Lawlessness and sexual sin is going to grow worse and worse and worse. But do you believe that the gospel is powerful to correct and cleanse the minds of men and women? Do you believe that? Have you experienced some of that grace? Some of that powerful grace? I look back and I think of men like John Newton, who the way they, they treated uh, those they had enslaved, some they would, 
they would rape, some they would kill just as a, just as a show of authority. They would cut off their limbs. And God can take such depravity and recreate us. Has he recreated you this morning? So we do not have to swim in this tide of sin. Um, when I came to, to know the Lord, um, by that time I had become active with girls. And some of that I did as, as a way to get out of the serious depression that I was in. And I wasn't thinking about the girls. I was, I was destroying their lives. In fact, when, when a, a man introduces that to a woman in this culture, in this time, they become very, very promiscuous. And some of you have that kind of blood on your hands. You've done those things and you've hurt the lives of women. But I am so thankful for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, I feel like John Newton who said, I, I, I have 20,000 ghosts that follow me around. Uh, he knew the consequences of his sin, even though he was forgiven. And he was a warrior and a, and a crusader to end slavery. And I'm a warrior and a crusader to destroy and end pornography in the lives of men and women. How about you? Pornography is absolutely destructive. It is not a victimless action. It is so destructive. And some of you who are born again have struggles. And I, say, I don't want to uh, minimize this. You are defying the living God, even though you are a born again Christian. But I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope, okay? We're, we're not here to get saved through the law, right? No one is, no human being is justified in his sight through the law. Change comes by the grace of Jesus. And God, if you're married, God wants you to have sex. He wants you to have sex a lot. He created it. The first sexual thought in the universe came from God. And so he wants you to have sex. Proverbs 5 says that you should be intoxicated with your wife's body. If you're not a married man and you want to have sex, you need to save sex and direct it towards marriage. How many married guys we have here? Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about pornography and the solution for it. Okay. And um, here's the thing. Um, marriage will not cure your pornography problem. Okay. Pornography objectifies a woman, any woman. Now, it's okay to objectify a woman if she's your wife. You, you, should, you should be satisfied with her body. You, her body is yours, and yours is hers. You become one. And intimacy is, is sharing something that you share with no one else. That's what, why sex is so special. That's why it's so beautiful. Because you're doing, you're naked and unashamed. It, it, it's bringing paradise into this world. It's the beginning of the new creation. Okay? 
And so you want to have that, okay? You want to have that when you get married and you say, well, you know, I've ruined it. I'm going to talk about that. I'm presently addicted to porn. Okay, then especially this message is for you and and you may, I don't know what, uh, how God is using you today. Maybe you're in ministry um, we're going to talk about some, some statistics that, uh, of, of pastors and leaders in the church that are addicted to pornography. But what I want to tell you this morning is regardless of where you are, we have all have a fallen nature, don't we? The ground is level at the cross. This is something that we're in war, and this is something that Satan use against, uses against every man because the female form is beautiful, right? It's beautiful. But God has designed for one man to love one woman for life. And I want to just tell you right now, before we even begin this, that sex is hard work. I'm not just talking about the act. I'm talking about loving a woman for her whole life. And the intimacy that you have with a woman for her whole life, and you give yourself in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. You give her yourself in all of those circumstances. There's an intimacy that transcends this fallen world. And it's a beautiful intimacy. And Paul says it's mysterious because because it's a profound illustration of Christ and the church. It's, it's, it's like a sacrament. We're not going to go become Catholic now. But it's a dramatization of redemption, right? Just like the sacraments of, of baptism in the Lord's table. And, 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 and so sex it, it is painful. And I'm not talking about the act. I'm talking about laying your life down for your bride And doing the work that it takes to make intimacy enjoyable. What we want is is a free ticket. What we want is the microwave version. You know, we want fast food when it comes to sex. And that that, that affects your whole life. If you have, have a porn problem, you also have a deception problem. You're living in a lie. You're deceiving. And this is, one of, this is a bigger problem than the porn problem, is that you have to hide it. And you have to live in the darkness when God commands us to walk in the light, right? And, and so I want to look at something and realize that this this. This idea is not just for young men. This is for old men, too. I want to look at the life of David, who, who became a pornographer at around the age of 50, in the, in, in the middle of his life, after, after he had made so many conquests. And as a man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the psalms that I know that your church loves and sings, the man who wrote those, many of them, became a pornographer when he was 50, around 50 years old. So I want us to look at um, 2 Samuel 11. Could somebody grab me a glass of water? Thank you. 2 Samuel 11. 
And uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the next day, or the day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch and the servants of his Lord, and he did not go down to his house." In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought and with Joab and, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubbesheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. 
The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. One of my dearest friends, when he turned 50, we had a celebration for him. He, would, he was the Bible teacher at our church, from another church. He, was, he, had a PhD, he has a PhD in, in church history, and he loves the Bible. And uh, I got him, I, I went to a, a, a used uh, bookstore here in Indiana. I was passing through, and, and I found a 200-year-old copy of Richard Baxter's um, Call to the Unconverted. And, uh, and I, I've gotten into book binding, and, and, and so I, I kind of repaired the binding of the book and put a, a nice leather binding on it. It's just the smell of it, you know? And I, and I gave it to my friend. And uh, he ministered at our church for several years as part of our Bible Institute one day, I got a call from him, and he said that he had been arrested. And he, had, he, he, he confessed to me that uh, he's now probably 53, 54, but when he turned 50, he, st- he, he got depressed as, as a minister of God. His church was small and struggling, and he, he began to view pornography. He was trying to help someone worked through pornography and was researching it and it took him someplace that destroyed his life. And while he was looking at pornography, he he clicked on something that brought him to a child pornography site that downloaded to his computer that was also a sting from the police and he was arrested. All that to say that this was a man that I greatly looked up to. And, I, and after all of this had happened, I said, I said, when did this begin? Is this something you, you had when you were a child and it all came back? He said, no. He said, no. I just fell into it because of my own despair. And I began to, to really doubt the goodness of God. Pornography is is something that can ensnare any one of us at any time. Do not think that you're above this problem. Be afraid. Be very afraid. We see a man after God's own heart. A man that not only knew scripture, Certainly, he read the Pentateuch constantly. But he inscripturated scripture. Wrap your head around that. 
And if, if you can be born along by the Holy Spirit and write Scripture down and still fall into this, then you are in danger 24 and 7. Now, God has given us many protections. And if you are presently ensnared, how many of you know the great physician who can get anything out of you, who can heal anything? He can heal you of this sinful disease. And he really can. He can cleanse your mind. I told you my story, right? I told you of what I was exposed to. I told you of how my mind and my worldview objectified all women. And I looked for that. And I destroyed the lives of young girls that were my age. But then I came to know Christ. And all of that vanished from my mind. And, and you're going to say, Matt, that, end of story. No, no. As I began to get ready for marriage, that year of engagement was torturous for me. Torturous. Because those images started popping back into my mind. In fact, even before that, I, I remember I'd been saved about two years, and I, I really hadn't thought about anything pornographic in those first two years of my Christian life. And I'm sitting as, as a senior in a Christian high school, uh, sitting there in chapel, waiting for it to begin. And these images are just popping into my mind. And, and it's like torture because I, I'm saying, Lord, no. Lord, I hate this. Lord, I don't want this. Lord, deliver me. Deliver me from this. And that day, my youth pastor, Peter Hubbard, opened up God's word to Ephesians chapter 4. Put off the old self and put on the new self which is renewed in holiness and righteousness. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so I began to work through passages on purity and began to memorize. And, and my mind began to become free. And eventually, uh, like I said, not only the porn, but the deceitfulness of it. Uh, the lying and different things would pop out. And, and I, I wasn't looking at porn at that time, but it was in my mind. You know, and it would just pop up into my mind. And so I worked through that with the scriptures. It was, it was hard work. And I was fine until, like I said, engagement time. And it all came back. And I had to fight. And I got married. And, and, and some of those images and temptations and, and, and things that I learned from those videos, and it were, they're still all there. And I, I want to give you hope today that you can be free from the controlling power of pornography, the controlling power of lust. Jesus said it, it, it's not just committing uh, fornication that is a sin, but if I look on a woman to lust after her, I've committed adultery with her already in, in my heart. Now that is the law right there. That's the law fully orbed. Um, sex is for my wife. It's a gift for my wife. And sex 
from, from her is a gift to me. And that's the way we need to look at it. But I want, before we, I give you a strategy for, for, for destroying the thoughts of lust and, and pornography and even the practice of it. I want us to consider the prevalence of pornography. 12%, according to Leadership Magazine, 12% of pastors have committed adultery while in the ministry. One out of eight pastors. 23% admitted to something they considered sexually inappropriate, such as viewing pornography. 23% of pastors. Christianity Today, which I don't recommend necessarily, uh, you really got to pick and choose, but this is written basically for leaders in the evangelical movement. And 23% of readers of Christianity Today have admitted to extramarital intercourse. 45% indicate that they're viewing pornography. Almost half of people who are probably leaders in the church. Now, if that's the leaders of the church, what does that say about God's flock? I'm a pastor, and I counsel many people. And one of the things that I come up against on a regular basis is men who don't want to do the work to have sex with their wives. It's just easier to look at an image, or even just to think about an image. And then you don't have to do the work because she might be upset, she might be having a bad day and you've got a lot of work to do before 10 p.m. You've got a lot of work to get her heart in order so that you can be united for intimacy. And um, one, of, one of the things uh, that I wanna tell you about a little bit later on is the, the, the profitability of Song of Solomon for your marriage, not as a sex manual. I think that's blasphemous, okay? Um, to turn Song of Solomon into a sex manual. Some have done that. That's the raping of the Song of Solomon. Um, it is discreet about sex because it exalts it in the way that it should be exalted. And I, I, I want to give you some ideas about that a little bit later on, uh, especially how Solomon viewed uh, his bride. And if this is perhaps his, his first bride before he apostatized, that's my theory, um, you have a real insight into how he esteemed sex and, and one woman for him. And uh, we're going we're gonna to learn from Solomon. But before we do that, I want us to think about the prevalence of moral failure and what this does to your Christian life. This is not just a sexual problem. This is a problem that's going to destroy the, the fruit of holiness. It's going to destroy your effectiveness for the gospel. And the hope here, okay, this is a hopeful message. This is a hopeful teaching. Is that you don't have to live enslaved to lust. You are a Christian. And we talked yesterday that you don't have to live enslaved to crippling fear. You don't have to be enslaved to controlling lust. And lust is such that it is impulsive. It is impulsive. When it comes upon you, you need something. It's like, you know, 
needing a Snickers bar or something. You know, you want it, you want it, you want it. It's powerful urge, and it's, it's something that doesn't go away. That's why um, Paul says it's better to marry than to burn. That's why he says the only reason as a married person you should abstain from sex is for prayer and, and fasting. And that can't last very long because your body needs food, right? So maybe a week. And then come together quickly so that Satan does not tempt you. That means a married man is to have sex with his wife quite often to be healthy. But it takes so much work to do that. So much work. And, and we just want the microwave meal. Well, what is the pathway to moral failure? And let me speak to those of you who, who, who perhaps you don't have a problem uh, with viewing pornography. Praise the Lord. Praise God. That should, be, that should be the standard for all men. Maybe you've been delivered from it. Maybe you were, you've never been introduced to it. And praise God, you were a rarity if that's the case. But you also are not safe. Because we have the son of Jesse right here in 2 Samuel 11. And he gives us the pathway to moral failure. It begins, and I'm borrowing this outline from R. Kent Hughes. He's got a great outline of the pathway to moral failure. But the, the first, and I've modified it, but um, the, the first pathway is pride. Now remember, when Samuel went to anoint David, uh, he was very surprised that this little runt would be the king of Israel. Uh, he was looking around, maybe Eliab, maybe another of his brothers would be the king, but not the runt, because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And when God looked on David's heart, he saw a man after his own heart. And it says in verse 1 here that at the time that kings would go out to battle, that David remained at Jerusalem. There's a song by Robin Marks, Men of a Certain Age, that is really helpful. And he talks about men who have seen the battle and men who have, have done great things for the Lord. And now they're falling into these kinds of sins. Men of a certain age. He had accomplished what he had set out to accomplish. He had been used of God. And, and now he was satisfied with his victories. David, you say, he should have known better. He, he was mid, middle age. He was 50 years old. He was spiritually mature. This is where the sin begins. Pride is blinding. Pride will make you think that you're farther along than you are. Listen, Jesus said that in order to come to know him, we either have to be a child or we have to be like a child. And that's true not only for conversion, that is true for sanctification. We can never become too big for our britches, right? We need to have a mentality of humility. If we're going to be kept in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is much better than pornography. Can I get an amen? amen. Then we 
see desensitization in David's life. And, you know, David was a king of Israel. And he, uh, according to the law, had um, three things that he was supposed to refrain from, according to Deuteronomy 17, acquiring many horses, taking many wives, and accumulating much silver and gold. And we find out that David kind of broke some of those things. And he had broken God's law in that way. And he had more than one wife. And then he took to himself concubines. Well, I mean, he didn't have as many concubines as the pagan kings. I mean, he was much better than that, you know. Desensitization. The same thing happens in our life. You know, I don't have cable television. I just have Netflix. Well, I mean, I fast forward those bad scenes, or at least most of them. Desensitization. Well, I mean, I see the, I see this stuff, but I'm, I'm not affected by it. I mean, it's everywhere. How can I miss it? I mean, it's in commercials and, oh, that internet ad and desensitization. That's a pathway. And if you think it has no effect, talk to my friend, my pastor friend with a PhD in church history that called me weeping from the police station. Desensitization. Be afraid. Be very afraid of what you put in front of your eyes. This is the pathway to moral failure. There are culturally accepted indulgences. There are sensualities and ways of talking about and viewing women that are presented in sitcoms, that are presented in movies. There is a worldview. There is an agenda. It is out there. It's very, very subtle. Be careful because your mind is being reformatted by the prince of the power of the air very, very subtly. Desensitization <laughs> will rob you. You single men, when you get married and, and there's supposed to be that pow on the honeymoon and that pow is not there. And that will lead you to so many other horrible, horrible days and nights of arguing and misery and joyless sex. And it will rob you of all that God has intended for you. Now, it's never too late. So if you're, if you're thinking, oh, man, I'm in trouble, you, it's never too late. The grace of God can transform and God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. But be careful about desensitization and then relaxation. Here he is, 50 years old, and his, he's uh, entrusted the war to his seasoned general, Joab. And here, when kings would go out to battle, he's relaxing on the top of his roof. You need to be busy in the kingdom of God, man. I think my friend who called me from the police station, I think he got tired of the hard gospel work. I think he got very tired. And he just wanted to relax. Men, you cannot relax in a war zone. We have to have a wartime mentality 
always. Relaxation is not an option. Now, you should get proper rest. You should have time with your family. That, that would be relaxation. But even then, even our games in our house expand the kingdom and, and, and disciple little children. Uh, I'll, I'll be like, Alpha? And my little daughter will be like, Beta? Gamma? Delta? Epsilon? And when we get to Omega, there's a tickle party. You know? But it's training them. It's teaching them. It's fun. It's relaxing. But it's, it's not laziness. We are not called to be lazy. We are called to trust in God, to rest in God, to find our relaxation in God. He's better than life. But we are not called to take a break. And that led him down a path of fixation. This is David's porn problem. He's walking on the top of his roof and he sees this woman that's described in Scripture as strikingly beautiful. And he looks. He didn't choose that. He, didn't, he, didn't, he did choose the pathway to be there, so that's a problem. But even then, there was a way out. There was a way of escape. Every temptation has a way of escape, Paul tells us. And at that moment, he should have gone back into his chambers and prayed for Bathsheba or gotten his mind way away from Bathsheba. You know, um, he, he should have prayed for himself. He, he should have viewed her as a sister, as, as a mother, as, as a wife and said, oh God, God, cleanse me from this. This is not mine. But he didn't do that. He didn't have an internet. He had this form right in front of him. And he is the king. He can get whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. You say, well, I'm not a king, actually. I mean, we have dominion. And right now with the internet, you can get whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And David fixated when he should have turned away. Don't allow yourself to get there. You see the pathway. Because he was re in relaxation, the fixation overtook him. Don't put yourself in these situations. When you see an image, you need to admire your feet. I remember we were with a group of people in Spain and we thought we were out of the season of the beach season, you know? And so we go with a group to the beach, San Sebastian, right near France. I'm with my wife and we're going to the beach and all of a sudden I'm looking at my feet and I say, let's go right up to the water and let's put up our umbrella so we can't see anything. And, and you, you, have to, you have to be aggressive. You have to be, have a wartime mentality at all times. You cannot give yourself a moment to admire. You cannot. 
Bonhoeffer, the beloved German pastor, said at that moment when lust takes control of your heart, God loses all reality. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. It is that practical atheism that takes hold of our heart in that moment of lust, and we give ourselves to it, and we forget that we're a child of God, and we forget that we have a mission, and that the Lamb is... Is, is rescuing some from the world and then he's at war with the rest of the world and he's going to destroy them. And, and we have to have a wartime mentality and, and dwell in the, in the presence and in the shadow of the Almighty. We cannot, we cannot be forgetful of God. We cannot be practical atheists. We cannot afford it. And then rationalization. Someone comes to him and says, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Even then, someone is, is bringing the conviction of the Spirit to David's heart. He, he has some accountability. David, do you see what you're doing? Yeah, you know, I mean, but Uriah, I mean, he can't be much of a lover. I mean, he's so old. And I mean, I'm the king. It's really, really hard. It's really hard to be the king. This is a special situation. My life has been extremely hard. I mean, I've had to kill Goliath. I've gone out and, and destroyed many. I mean, I need a break. This is, I'm in a unique situation. Not everybody is like me. Rationalization. I'm special. This is a special situation. I mean, hey, you know, where sin abounds, Grace much more abounds. Shall we not continue in sin that grace may abound? That's where we stay. But we've got to keep reading. What does Paul say? God forbid. May it never be. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? We've been made alive in the Spirit. But we become practical atheists. And we rationalize And David says to his servant, bring her to me. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. And so we can be controlled by rationalization. I mean, how can something that has brought me such enjoyment be so wrong? And I mean, David had concubines. So he was a man after God's own heart. I can, I can watch this. I'm not hurting anybody. Uh, pornography is, is a victimless activity. Absolutely not. That woman in the photograph, in the image, is someone's daughter, someone's sister. And so we need to look at that one as if it were our own daughter. And when that occurs, instead of lust, we will have anger, righteous anger. And that will kill your porn problem. It will kill it. You have to, to realize that rationalization is in all of us. And we can rationalize as men. We can rationalize so well. And the Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Our, our, the habits of our old nature are still there. And we have the ability to deceive ourselves. And self-deception is the worst kind of deception. Because you don't, you, you eventually begin to believe your own lies. 
And then there is degeneration. What happened? David took her. David lied. He killed her husband. And, and it got worse and worse and worse. And so now he's an adulterer, a liar, and finally a murderer. Did David repent? Where, where do we find his repentance? Psalm 51. Let's, let's turn there. Psalm 51. He says, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. If you mark your Bibles, circle steadfast love or highlight it in your app. Steadfast love, that's the word has said. It's covenant love. It's unrelenting love from God. Why could David repent? Because repentance is a gift from God. And when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, God granted him repentance supernaturally. He responded to God's word. That is a mark of regeneration. So he says, have mercy on me. In verse two, he, or ver, latter part of verse one, he says, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, my lawlessness, and cleanse me from my sin. And then you see that it's true repentance because verse four, he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We need to understand, if we're going to be free from porn, we need to understand what repentance is. Repentance is not merely sorrow. It is sorrow. But repentance is a change of mind that gives you a worldview from God's perspective. It's seeing things from God's perspective. It's seeing that every act of pornography is a rape of God's purity that he designed for that woman. And you're stealing from her intimacy that she should have with her husband and stealing from your intimacy that is, belongs to your wife. You are a thief and a liar and an adulterer. And you are hurting so many around you. You are hurting husbands. You are hurting children. You are hurting mothers and fathers. And by the way, when you view something, a picture that has been taken of a woman, a video that's been taken of a woman, you are promoting the sex trade and slavery. There are, there are little girls that are vanishing from your town, every town in America. It's very subtle, but there are, there are children being imported from other lands who are being hidden in the basements of your neighbor's houses in nice neighborhoods. And men are coming by, and there are brothels where children are. And you are supporting that. If you are viewing these images, you are bringing the revenue because you're clicking in every click. Someone's getting some revenue. Ads are being given. And there's money exchanging hands even if you don't pay for it. 
And so we need to understand what real repentance is. Repentance is not simply acknowledging that what you've done is lawless and vile and evil and from the pit of hell and destructive to all those around you and destructive to you personally, to your mind, to your family, and to your society. But repentance is saying, I will never do this ever, 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 ever again and I will make every single provision that I possibly can so that I never do this again. Never. Never, never, not even to think about it. You have to have strategies. Whatever you have to do to be free from it. You are not a slave to lust. You are a slave to Jesus Christ. You are a slave to holiness. And this is not only possible, this is your pathway if you were a child of God. He who has begun a good work will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, when it's finished. Daily you will be conformed into the image of Christ. You need to begin as well to find your satisfaction in Christ. Now, many Christian men have a SMO mentality. You say, what is SMO? Sunday morning only. That's when I worship, man. That's when I get my worship on. That's when I get filled. That's when I get filled with God. That's my intimacy with God. I'm a smo. How many of you are smos? I hope none of you. You should be a smo as far as being there every Sunday morning. But it's not Sunday morning only. Worship extends beyond Sunday morning. And David says something in Psalm 63. He says, your loving kindness, your has said, your unrelenting love, your covenant faithfulness is better than anything this life has to offer, including sex, including porn. Way better. And I want to know, what is God saying to you right now in your life? Or has God been silent Listen, if God has been silent in your heart and in your life, you are on this pathway to moral failure. You are on this pathway. If, if you're relaxing and, and, and you're thinking that, hey, being a smo is good enough, then you are blind. You don't understand the crash is going to come. And it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your wife. It's going to hurt your family if you're married. If you're single, it's going to have an impact on your future. What is God saying to you? We need to be, as God has unrelentingly pursued us, we need to be unrelentingly pursuing God and being satisfied in Christ. And, and sometimes it takes reading a book of the Bible over and over and over and over and over again until it begins to open up like a flower to you. And you begin to, instead of fantasizing about a woman's body, you begin to fantasize about all the verses and all the truths and this great God that you serve and it fills your mind. And, and those endorphins are going nuts in your mind and in your body. And, and, and it's so much more satisfying than that which is just merely a picture. 
And that slavery, oh, the slavery to lust is unrelenting. You can be free from that. Instead of being forgetful about God, you can be forgetful about pornography. You see? And when you are jolted with joy in Jesus, David Brainerd said in his diary, oh, how much better than life is the presence of God. Oh, how much better than life is the presence of God. And if, if, you're, not, if you're not there, then maybe what you need to do, if, you can't, if you're not finding satisfaction in Christ, then maybe you need to consider radical amputation. Because um, it's better to enter into eternity without a leg or without an arm or without an eye than to enter into hell with your whole body. In other words, if you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just have a porn problem. No, you have an eternity problem because someone that is enslaved to sin that does not desire victory over it is not a Christian. That's that's Jesus's point. If you don't care to do whatever it takes to get rid of this sin in your life, then you are graceless. You are Christless. And you are headed for an eternity in the lake of fire. And so you need to kill what you see. Rip your eye out if that's what it takes. Get rid of your Netflix subscription. Get rid of your electronic devices. It's better to live without electronic devices than to enter into hell with all of those amazing electronic devices. It's, it's, it's better to get rid of your Netflix subscription where you binge watch and there's sex scenes and you, 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 you try to fight against them but you really enjoy them. If that's your heart, if that's what you're living for, then that really is your God and you're going with your God to hell. If you're not disturbed by your appetite for that, then you may not be a Christian. Pluck out your eye. Kill what you see. Kill what you do. If your hand offends you, cut it off. You, you need to, to be willing to kill and cut off anything that leads you to that kind of thinking. You may have friends that are justifying sin in their life. You may have to cut off some serious friendships that you've had in your life. And a lot of times it's not friends. A lot of times it's family. It's my brother. It could be my dad. It could be an uncle. And they're, they're, they're saying, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, but, you know, it's okay. It's a, every man has that need. And you just, hey, at least I'm not, you know, going to a brothel. I'm just, I'm not hurting anybody. And we've already unveiled that lie. And then what about where you go? You might have to cut your leg off. I can remember going to the door of a movie theater, sneaking into a movie, and I had to act as if I was lame. 
You know, I can't be here. I am a Christian. Not that movies are wrong, but the movie that we were going to was, was not honoring to God. And I had to cut off my leg in order to, to walk in holiness. And then the next thing that we can do is to see women, to see people as those who are God's image bearers. When you see a naked woman, and sometimes you cannot prevent it because it is everywhere. And sometimes they have clothes on, but they look naked, right? And so, you know, pornography is all around us. We are unfortunately living in the harlot Babylon. We are living among the people of Satan, right? I'm, I'm using some of the words of Revelation. You know, we're swimming in this garbage. And Jesus said it would be so. But we would shine as lights in a dark world. And so the way that we can be free from the impulse of pornography, when we see it and we can't prevent it, is to see women as God's image bearers. And to look at that woman as a, an evangelistic thing, you know, as this is someone who needs Christ. This is, this is someone who needs to be brought into the kingdom of God. And yes, oh, how shameful it is that she doesn't have clothes on. She doesn't know how to dress. And, and you think of her as your daughter. What would you do if your daughter came to you like that? What if you saw your daughter and she, that was her career? That was her, she wasn't a mother. She was, she was prostituting herself. Or, or, or you're, you're a husband and, and, and that's your gomer. What would you do? What, what did Hosea do? He spoke life. He spoke truth. And that's the, that's the attitude that we have to have towards those who are exposing themselves. That's what they're doing. We need to renew our mind in how we think about pornography. That, that these are women who should be chased. These are women who could, God could reach with the gospel. And here we are gratifying ourselves over their images. And that is not the fruit of a son of God. And so we have to renew our mind and see women as those made in God's image. And you need to, to fight next with the sword of the Spirit. And this is where I say it's going to take work. You have the Spirit of God in you. But you need to learn how to wield God's Word. You need to learn how to preach to yourself. You need to learn how to counsel yourself. I was uh, talking to one of uh, my dearest friends and an elder at our church, and he was telling me how that when he was coming out of pornography and this, this whole mentality, that um, he, would, he would counsel himself constantly. He was, he was constantly getting into the word and repeating that to himself and walking in the light. The Bible says the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. How long? How often? day and night. 
And that's when all the fruit comes. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He bears forth fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does prospers. Well, here is my dear friend, Mike Clickus, And he's walking down the streets of Chicago. And, and he said this was often the conversation he'd have with himself. He'd be preaching to himself, and all of a sudden an image would come into his mind. And he'd be like, no! And people around him were like, this guy's weird. But he was willing to be radical about what he was doing. And he took seriously the wielding of God's word. Even if you look like a fool to the rest of the world, preach to yourself. Renew your mind. It's going to take work. And that's why you need to get accountability. You need to get accountability. You need to have someone that is your priest. You need to confess your sins. You need a confessional. Uh, you need accountability. You need someone who is going to be like a Barnabas to you, who's got their arm around you, who's carrying you, who will not leave you behind. You cannot do this alone. You need the church of Jesus Christ. You need these men who are surrounding you. They will not judge you. You tell them what you're going through. Because if you've got a speck in your eye, they've got a log in their eye. They're, they're going through it, right? They're going through it just like you are. And so you need to be open and honest with your Barnabases. And you need to find a Paul as well. Not just someone beside you, but someone above you who's pulling you up. Not just holding you up, but pulling you up to higher ground. And then you need a Timothy eventually. As you begin to have victory, you need to be someone pulling someone else up. You need a Timothy in your life. I want to close by telling you the story of Cedric Andrews. Six years ago, his Italian Catholic wife came to our church and she said, my marriage is in trouble. My husband is a five-time felon. He just got out of jail. He's going to have to go back to jail for a DUI. He's in deep trouble. He's a womanizer. He's a pornographer. He's a heroin addict. I'm a heroin addict. Six years ago, six and a half years ago, and we start in June of 2011 reading through the book of Ephesians on a weekly basis, just going verse by verse. And on October 31st, 2011, on, on, on Reformation Day, we're sitting at their table reading Ephesians. We're about to chapter 2, verse 4. And we've talked about being dead in trespasses and sins and slave to the world, a slave to my own desires, slave to the devil, but God who is rich in mercy. About that time, Cedric looks at me and he says, Pastor, I got to pray. And, and, and Cedric is this very big black man raised in a missionary Baptist church, but had forsaken it and become a, a, a slinger. He was a drug deliverer on the south side of Chicago and had been many times to federal prison for it. But at this moment, heaven opened up and hell beneath and he saw hell and he saw heaven and he began to, 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 to ask to pray. And, and, and his wife, Nicole, said, Cedric, you cannot interrupt the priest. And, and I said, I said, Nicole, 
we don't schedule when birth begins. It just happens. And the Spirit of God is giving birth to your husband right now. And he began to pray and he began to confess his sins. He was shaking. He was sitting. He was standing. He was sitting. He was standing. He was shouting. It was like we were no, nobody was there but him and God. And there was a metamorphosis that took place in those moments. And, and, and as he ended his prayer, there was, a, there was the life of the Spirit descended upon Nicole. And she began to pray in earnestness. And she was irresistibly drawn to God. And they were born again that day. Was there heroin withdrawal? Yeah. Was their marriage a total disaster and needed hours and months and years of careful biblical application to their lives? Absolutely. But they today are strong in the faith. And just a month ago, he, Cedric was ordained as, as a deacon in our church. And his wife is our church secretary. And they're some of the strongest Christians in, in, in their age group. And they love Jesus Christ. And Cedric doesn't have a porn problem. I remember, I remember talking to him, well, I just, I'm just not attracted to my wife. Uh, no, you don't want to work hard for your wife. Because you're used to having two women who just give themselves to you. And you don't have to work for them at all. And he had to learn the joy of Christ, the joy of laying his life down for his wife. And now he has a monogamous marriage that is, that is healthy. His wife is happy. And believe me, she's Italian. So I know when she's not happy. <laughs> you know? She used to post Facebook articles aimed at her husband. You know? I'm like, you can't do that, Nicole. <laughs> Don't do that. Oh, it needs to be said, you know? And uh, <laughs> God can change an Italian Catholic. God can t change a, a missionary Baptist apostate who, who's been in federal prison uh, four times. God can change heroin addicts. God can change porn addicts. And not only Cedric, but all of us are living proof. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Help us as we grow and change into your image. Thank you for the power of regeneration that gives us, that gives us the, 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 the pathway to a radical new life in Christ and sanctification and changing these things. And thank you that we are not comfortable living in our sin, but we are freed from even the most uh, life-gripping sin like pornography and, and to be satisfied with Christ, to be satisfied with our, 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 our wives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.